Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined as always by the man who is the wolfman to my clown. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? Very well, very well. Um, I was going to ask you, you obviously sent that picture on the group with our mutual friend the other day of Mike Tyson in the Scotland jersey. Yes, the France 98, yes. I was going to ask you, what is your favourite Scotland strip? Wait, which year or tournament? Uh, I could tell you. Actually, I've got them right here. Um, Without a doubt, my my favourite is the... I'm going to show it to you right now. It's the the horrible, (laughs) the one with the the purple and red paint splat. What what year's that? It is, I think it's 92, I think, that one. Otherwise, it is the France Mm -hmm. 98 one that Mike Tyson wore. But my absolute favourite, which I don't have to hand, is the Tartan Euro 96. Yes, both. I love that nice. strip. Yeah, I'm not. Sure. I'm not a big fan of the first one you yeah. showed us there, the '92. Um, I got. I got to be honest. Oh, I love that strip. It's just so. It's so horrific. It's beautiful. It's uh, for our listeners. We'll put a photo up, but it's it's a white strip, but with like a a purple and red paint splash mm-hmm. across it. It's lovely. Iconic. Is it, is it iconic? <laughs> yes. I think my favourite one. And it's probably because it was the first one that I ever had was the Mexico '86 uh, one, you know, with the kind of round, the kind of rounded neck, but yeah. it sort of it kind of crosses each other, it yeah. kind of crosses each side. I remember for my eighth birthday getting that with the classic kind of white shorts with the purple band across the middle and the breast on the not purple but the cover of the, the kind of blue, navy blue um, thing, yeah. and 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 the red socks. Because that strip almost has kind of like hoops in it, because it's like different yeah. texture. The the different brands, yeah, yeah. that's a lovely. Kit. I've seen it. Yeah. I've, 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 I've seen nice. it a few times, and I've kind of I've kind of resisted buying it, and then I've always regretted not just buying it. So the next time I see it, because it's been re, it's been reissued a few times. Um, when I was mm. at home, I think in February, I was in JD Sports, and they had a few um, classic Scotland strips, but they 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 also had like the really 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 old ones from like the thirties and stuff, which are quite smart as well. Now, my issue with those, the reissue ones that they you get in JD mm-hmm. Sports, for example, because like that um, France 98 one that I just showed you, I they have that in JD yeah. Sports, for example, but it doesn't have the Umbro. Because ah, uh, the Umbro don't make it, I guess. Or name badge. Yeah. Exactly. So that one I purchased off a Chinese website, which um, I can send you the link for. <laughs> they're very good they're they're excellent they have all the latest kits yeah quality is is fantastic but yeah it has the umbro logo it's exactly it's even got the umbro tag Mm -hmm. in the back obviously if you want to become a sponsor then (laughs) if you're listening to this um but yeah that's the the main issue i have with those reissues that they don't have the the proper uh manufacturer logo which is understandable because as you say they don't manufacture it and i guess probably because scotland are the kits are manufactured now by adidas that maybe there's some sort of rights issue maybe. they're not allowed to to have that i actually they when, when i got that uh scotland strip for my birthday they, i did what you do as a kid and wore the whole thing like quite often the inc- yeah. in, including the socks and uh we were in england but when we were in england yeah. visiting my stepdad and i got sort of stranded on a rope swing so like i was a bit I was a bit scared to swing with any kind of vigor, and I kind of had to to get back to the kind of launching spot. I had to kind of drop down, and there was like a obviously, with it being fucking summer and everything, there was like a patch of nettles below. Like I don't, I don't know, like what sadist <gasps> erected the rope swing above a patch of nettles, but um, I had to sort of drop yeah. down, and I thought that my woolen Scotland 
uh, socks would protect my legs from the nettles, but they didn't. (laughs) It was a a painful lesson. Did you have to go searching for a dock leaf to rub on your poor little skin? No, I was with this girl um, who lived next door, so I had to pretend that everything was all right. (laughs) I didn't want to like, uh, I didn't want to like start crying or something in front of her. But it was fucking sore because I, I yeah. dropped. I must have dropped maybe like four feet, and be and since I was only about four feet myself, so I kind of dropped the height of myself. So like I, that, so that was quite sore, and I, I just managed to avoid sort of slipping down onto my arse. And um, but my legs were all stung. I had to kind of pretend that it was fine. I said the classic. I, I used to go and see my mum about something, and then when I when I <laughs> went back in a minute, when I got in the house, I allowed myself to shed a few tears when my mother put some E forty five on. My my, my stung calves. Oh, yeah. what a shame. Never yeah. mind. Oh, well. So that's your main memory of you having that it's, Scotland, well, Mexico 86. I, I definitely do associate. It's, it's not so much the strip, but whenever I see like, like footage from like that time of the Scotland team in action in those red socks, I, it's the red socks that kind of like sort of bring back the memory of that little accident that I had. Oh, I mean, I, I was wearing oh, a Scotland, well. I was wearing a, a full Scotland strip on holiday in England, you know, so I was already being pretty brave, you know. Yeah, yeah. Brave a brave heart. heart. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Brave heart. Exactly how exactly how I'll <laughs> recollect that memory from now on. Yeah, that was all exactly what you did though. You you would wear the yeah. full kit. I mean, now obviously there's a plenty of Instagram and Facebook pages and stuff dedicated to full kit wankers that you see around about. I mean, I I don't know. I, genuinely, I have those tops, and it's the same as like I'll, I will buy the new Aberdeen mm. top. The only time I'll ever wear it out the house is if I'm right. running. I I would never wear it to go to no. the shops or anything. And it's just not the done thing. But I don't know why I buy it. Same with the Scotland tops. I just like to have them. But because it's kind of a... Yeah. It's nostalgia, I guess. But I, I never I wear like them to, out. I like, if I'm going to watch Scotland play, if I'm going to like the pub to watch Scotland play, like when I went to watch yeah. them play England last year um, in the Euros, in the pub, I wore, I wore, I wore my Scotland top to go and watch the football but um yeah but the, the funny thing is like i would never i don't know if i'd ever wear a scotland top to go and watch the gate the team play like at hamden or something because i'd be thinking well i'm probably gonna mm. want to go out after <laughs> you know, i don't want to go home and get changed so you know yeah there's nothing worse than a kind of football supporter casualty like eight hours after the game's ended and he's still out in his scotland top and he's killed and he's fucking pissed himself and lost his wallet and just blind drunk uh all right then greg uh well Shall we have a look at what's been happening in Scotland this last Cue week? Cue da jingle. <laughs> Cue da jingle. Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. It's the Sean Paul <laughs> remix of the, the news there. Uh, okay, um, what have you seen that's been happening in Scotland this week that you'd like to share with me and our lovely listeners? Okay, okay. well this first one comes from the Daily Record, 15th of July. Don't want to trigger anybody and we're not, I'm going to do my best not to make fun of this girl, but it's difficult. The headline reads, Scots woman forks out £8,000 for hairline surgery to get rid of her five head. Uh, Lisa, <laughs> Lisa Mackay spent years being self-conscious about her big forehead and her hairline that peaked back at the sides. I'm looking at a picture of her. Look at that bad. I mean, she's, she's got blonde hair. 
So maybe that sort of accents it a bit more. A Scottish beauty lover who resorted to tattoos and a mullet to try and hide her disproportionately large forehead has forked out £8,000 to surgically lower her hairline to go from five head to Disney princess. There's also a picture of her kind of post-op and she's got a scar running across the top of her hairline. So she looks a bit like the Bride of Frankenstein as opposed to Sleeping Beauty. Lisa Mackay from Paisley. Robocop. (laughs) Robocop, yeah. (laughs) Lisa Mackay from Paisley spent years being self-conscious about her big big forehead. The 25-year-old... You've got to brace yourself for this, mate. The 25-year-old was mercilessly mocked by nasty bullies (laughs) who photoshopped... (laughs) Who photoshopped her face onto photos... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of Space Raider Chris Packets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh God, I'm sorry. Uh, declaring... <laughs> as if it needs explanation, declaring that she looked like an alien because of the size of her head. This coupled with being branded a five head. <laughs> and others mocking her for having a forehead, uh, quotation marks, you could land an aeroplane on, battered Lisa's <laughs> self-esteem. Uh, the tooth gem technician, I had no idea there was such a thing, uh, resorted wow. to getting floral tattoos inked just below her hair in 2020 to try and disguise the fat, to try and disguise what she believed to be her disproportionately sized forehead. After spending years heavily contouring around her hairline to try and make it look smaller, last summer, Lisa decided to get a mullet and a fringe in a bid to hide her forehead. But this was to no avail, as Lisa also suffers from a cow's lick. I feel her pain. I also have a cow's lick. <laughs> Meaning her fringe hair didn't sit right in her and that left her equally frustrated. After learning about a f- about forehead reduction surgery while browsing while browsing through TikTok, Lisa booked into a Harley Street clinic and went under the knife for the £8,150 procedure on Tuesday, July the 5th. Looking into the mirror after having the operation, Lisa was thrilled with the results of her cute little rounded forehead that she says makes her feel like a Disney princess. Lisa said, I, can, I honestly can't put into words how happy I am. It's so incredible. I feel like a Disney princess. Princess. I love looking at my appearance now. I have a cute little rounded forehead. I just can't believe that's my forehead looking back at me in the mirror. Lisa said she first became self-conscious of her forehead when she was a young teen and she was mercilessly bullied over it. She said, ever since I was 13 or 14, I came, became aware that the proportions of my forehead were a wee bit off compared to the rest of my face. I never liked how big it was and I've never been happy with the actual shape of my hairline itself, not even just my forehead. My hair peaked back a lot at the edges. I always wanted quite a wee rounded head. It was just one of those things I it was one of those things I just ignored. But I did get bullied as a teenager. I used to have people making Photoshop edits of me and my forehead. <laughs> they used to edit the bottom half of my face onto the alien's head on the space radar crisp packets. And say, Lisa looks like an alien because her head's so big. People used to always say, you've got a five head. Look how big your head is. Or you could land an airplane on that thing. Oh, at the time, it felt really hurtful. Uh, sorry, Lisa. I'm sorry for laughing. But, you know, <laughs> fucking genius. But these are just geniuses now. When I was a kid, all you got was your money taken off you in a doing when nobody was looking. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, that's um, uh, there's uh, old Lisa there. She's got a picture of herself right after the operation. She's got like a big massive bandage in her head, as you would expect, but also like a little blood bag like hanging off the side. It's rank. In that picture of her now, she's still quite scarred. I'm assuming that the scar will go away eventually. So yeah, so good luck to her. Apparently, they cut, like it said during the surgery, Lisa's skin was sliced open, her scalp was peeled back off her skull, and then stretched over her skull towards a new hairline. But then it's better not leave her looking like so. Are permanently surprised because with that, but then like kind of, <laughs> I, <laughs> I thought that would like sort of pull up your eyebrows. You know what I mean? If they've kind yeah, of reduced so. that, um, yeah. I suppose I suppose I know what they're I, doing. You know these Harley Street guys. I feel terrible for laughing at, at Lisa, and I'm so sorry you had to go through that because it must be terrible to have something like that. And I, I don't know what it is, but I just love the expression five head. I think it's fucking brilliant. And the the space reader comment is is but i'm glad that you are happy now mm. with your your forehead and that everything's good did she grow a mullet just to distract from the forehead is that the whole point that I, yeah. she's thinking people people won't look at the front if i've got a fucking mullet in the back if i go the full billy ray cyrus it will it will detract <laughs> from my um well, i don't know because i think a, a mullet has a fringe doesn't it because it doesn't it i'm trying to think it, it kind of comes well, down and no i mean of. a mullet's just it's business at the front party at the back <laughs> so it's kind of the whole it's long at the back but it can be short and spiky at, at the front a mullet if you, if you have a, a classic mullet i don't know it's a strong look Oh, yeah, that's a strong look. And um, at least, um, I'm really sorry for laughing at the Space Raiders thing. If you, if you saw my forehead and my hairline, you would know that I've got absolutely nothing to laugh about <laughs> anybody. I've got oh, I used to love Space Raiders. Uh, pickled mm. onion flavour oh, yeah, Space yeah. Raiders were just wonderful. And these, like, what, 10p a packet? Yep. I, bet they're, I bet they're not now. Well, I don't know. I think I think the USP was always that they were they were affordable. Sort of, yeah. you know what I mean, um, so I think they probably are. I think you can still get them, but I think I'm sure I saw them in a um, supermarket in a multi pack when I was at home. I'll be home this time next week, so I'll I'll do some research. But of course, you're saying the the alien on the front. But when we used to buy them back in the day, it was like a a female mm. kind of space warrior so, that used to be on yeah, the front. She had right. like a big green hair type thing and then they replaced it with an alien i'm not sure why i don't know if that was to cash in on kind of like the x-files type area because it would have been about then i think they, they changed it maybe toya sued them for using her or they just something like without her permission you're right actually that's like a little bit like toya yeah toya the space raider we've all seen toya's space raiders if you look at our youtube channel i know um what's all that about yeah <laughs> um, I saw one during a lockdown, and because she's married to the guy from uh, from King Crimson, I, I can't remember what song they were mm. doing, but he was playing a guitar. She's on an exercise bike uh, with no brown, like pedaling for her life while singing along. It's like what happens when two old people get high off mushrooms. <laughs> make a, let's make a video and put it on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear oh well i'm so pleased for lisa that her um it's all been resolved and she's yeah. she's happy now with her forehead but then what did you say she got flowers tattooed she got well, on her yeah. hairline so now yeah. what happened what happened with those with the surgery have they been cut off no you can still see them um because yeah she's got the the sort i guess the kind of stem of the flower is kind of hidden by the scar but the the petals right. and the head of the flower is, are, are, are still visible and then she's got like a crescent moon tattooed on the side of her head just kind of between her ear and her right eye which must have been quite sore i imagine because there's not much okay. not much between the skin and your skull there wow so. so she really tried everything to distract from <laughs> it did yeah her, her, massive fucking crichton forehead <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. uh, sorry lisa sorry I'm glad lisa. it's all 
happy now. Indeed. Uh, okay, so that was my first story of the week. What's your first story? Uh, well, I, I've got a swally trope for us today, Greg. It's not pies. Mm. It's not topless men. Okay. Um, it's not wanking. <laughs> uh, it's about seagulls. Ah. And Aberdeen is once again being terrorised by seagulls. So this is from the Press and Journal this week. Um, Aberdeen supermarket is warning customers after having to replace food stolen by aggressive seagulls. This is Sainsbury's at Berry Den. And they have vowed to take action against aggressive Aberdeen seagulls stealing food from shaken shoppers. The situation has been escalated to the point where visitors to the Berry Den supermarket are being warned against unpacking their bags outside the store. One woman showed us her punctured packet of mints. <laughs> That's not a euphemism. Um, which was swooped upon while she was putting her shopping in the boot. Another told us how her toddler had been pecked on the head before his sandwich was swiped. Um, when we visited the, the car park, this is the Press Journal talking, the seagulls were circling like vultures at an elephant's graveyard. During the lunchtime breaks, the supermarket staff watch as the birds hover over helpless shoppers before hurtling beak first at any food not sufficiently hidden in their trolleys, or worse, already opened. Jennifer Faroz was pushing her two toddlers across the car park in a twin pushchair when a flock gathered overhead. Her grandson had opened a cheese and ham sandwich which she'd bought him for lunch. Then, without warning, the gull <laughs> struck. Jennifer said he had his sandwich in his hand. I'd just given it to him. And then a load of them just came and pecked him in the head and stole this sandwich. The sandwich was dropped to the ground just in front of the shocked group and it was torn to pieces by the attackers. I should realise that they're here, but I just never thought, Jennifer said. I was just saying to him, don't throw your crusts away because that'll attract them. <laughs> and he didn't even get one bite. Uh, just a few minutes later, closer to the shop, Kate Friskin was dive-bombed before she could begin unpacking her hatchback. She said, I stopped my trolley, I went to get my keys, and then a seagull just came right down and stuck its beak in my mince. Again, not a euphemism. Um, as she spoke to us, the same gull that had attacked her continued to swagger around nearby, as if waiting for her to drop her guard so it could properly claim its prize. Swagger. <laughs> Shaken Kate took her punctured packet of ground beef inside the shop to see if it would, uh, if the shop would swap it for a new one. Uh, Jennifer's and Kate's experience is not isolated. Anecdotes from the checkout tell of chicken packets being pulled from trolleys and torn open on the tarmac, with cuts of poultry being wolfed down by one of our feathered fiends. Uh, earlier in the year, one of them was filmed eating a full pack of raw bacon nicked from a terrified chopper. <laughs> Uh, with the cost of living crisis sending prices of food products higher than they have been in decades, a ruined item of food could be much more than a simple annoyance to shoppers. Uh, watching their hard-earned cash vanish down the gullet of a gull has made some people reluctant to return to the shop for fear of a repeat offence. Uh, workers have agreed to replace the items that have been damaged by the birds free of charge and the supermarket is investigating ways to tackle the behaviour for good. Uh, a Sainsbury's spokesperson told us that the firm is now working on options for encouraging the girls to relocate away from the car park. She said, we are aware of the disruption these unwelcome guests are causing at Berrydown Retail Park and we're looking for any measures we can introduce to deter them. So these swaggering girls are punching packets of mints and pecking little boys on the head <laughs> to steal their cheese and ham sandwiches. I mean... <laughs> 
I mean, we've, we've spoken about seagulls before and a bit of a menace, mm-hmm. and we've we've seen them, you know, strolling into shops and nicking packets of Doritos. But now they're they're dive bombing and punching packets of mints and eating full packs of bacon. It would appear. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm sure I've mentioned on the Swally before, but and I think it, it might mean you, you and I together, or maybe me and Brett. I can't remember, but we're walking up School Hill at lunchtime, and one of the Robert Gordon's kids had come out to get his lunch from the bakery, and he was eating like a bridey or something. And a seagull flew down and just took it right out of his hand. There's <laughs> nothing like it in my life. Yeah, and the thing about those seagulls in Aberdeen, as mentioned before, is they're fucking big, right? They're huge. Yeah, yeah I'd be quite fearful if a seagull came up um, to me. And, and there's photos of the seagull. It's a photo of the seagull eating the cheese and ham sandwich. <laughs> and if you think about a, a standard sandwich packet that mm-hmm. you would get from Boots or Tesco's or, or Sainsbury's, for example, this packet is pretty much the same size as the seagull's head. <laughs> so he's, he's a big old gull. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a, a big hole in Kate Fr- Friskin's punctured packet of mints. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, a hell of a an epidemic going yeah. on there with the seagulls. It, it's like the birds, you know, it's like Hitchcock's, the mm-hmm. birds. It's um, it's all happening at Berry Den. I don't know what they're going to do to, they're looking into ways to relocate them. Are they going to offer them like a little flat down at <laughs> Garth D or something? Like, can you go down to Asda at Garth D? Send them to Rwanda, or, something like that. <laughs> send them to Rwanda. Um, the only way really is to get like a, an eagle or a falcon yeah. um, to, to circle over head. I've told the story before, of course, of the Aberdeen did that because they had a seagull problem at the football games. Yeah. And we employed a, a, a falcon, I think, and then it um, that was swiftly stopped when the falcon attacked a seagull <laughs> in the middle of a game and effectively pecked him to death on the middle of the pitch. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, that that is no longer happening. Yeah, I don't know what you're going to do to stop it. It's it's They've obviously just found this as their new hunting ground. So I think they're quite smart, aren't they, seagulls? That's, you know, as far as... As yeah. far as like birds go, I think they're quite smart. And so I know that like in Glasgow and Glasgow Fort, just sort of open air uh, mall to keep the pigeons down. They've got models of birds of prey kind of on top of some of the shops. Mm. That seemingly keeps the pigeons to a minimum because pigeons are fucking morons and don't know the difference between a, <laughs> be, don't know the difference be, be, between a real bird of prey and a model of one. But I don't think that works with seagulls. Um, and, and I can honestly, I can, I can imagine a time maybe a, a couple of hundred years from now where Aberdeen has just been abandoned by human beings <laughs> just left to the seagulls. <laughs> but like, I am legends with Will Smith. You know what I mean? All overgrown. Seagulls have taken over. It's just seagulls and plague victims walking around Aberdeen. Yeah. <laughs> just Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, I don't miss the seagulls. That's one thing I don't miss about living in Aberdeen is the seagulls. Because if they're not if they're not nicking your fucking sausage roll out your hand or waking you up as soon as the sun comes up in the morning, squawking outside your bedroom window. Yeah, that's very true. So yeah, but yeah, imagine like it. What about peck the baby in the head first? I'm sure they'd have given the sandwich up. <laughs> You know? I don't know. <laughs> I know. I feel a bit bad laughing about that. The the toddler getting pecked in the head, but it was maybe just a little. Oi, yeah. give me that. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Maybe it was just a collateral damage. <clears throat> Um, well. Yeah, toddler was pecked on the head before his sandwich was swiped. But yeah, I, I would quite have liked to have seen the the one that punched Kate's bag of mints um, as it just swaggered around nearby, waiting for her to drop her guard again <laughs> so it could properly claim its prize. <laughs> oh, never mind. Okay, Greg, uh, what's your next story this week? Uh, well, obviously, we both enjoy laughing at anything to do with the Rangers. This one comes from the Scottish Sun on the 22nd of July. It's a couple of days ago. The headline is, I could do better. I'm the Rangers fan accused of being married to Nazi salute thug I've never met before. <laughs> I am livid. 
So there's a there's a picture of the, of the woman on her TikTok uh, video, and she she looks livid. To be fair, she looks absolutely fucking beeling. A fed-up Rangers fan told of her horror after folk assumed she was married to a thug who made Nazi salutes during a game. Single mum Lynn, 37, was unwittingly caught up in the controversy after she took her 10-year-old son to Ibrox this week. She had the bad luck to be sat next to a stranger who was chucked out for making the sick gestures. But because she was pictured next to him, everyone assumed that they're a couple and she is mortified. On TikTok, Lynn said, He's not my fucking man! I could do I could do better than fucking that. If so you so you go to the pictures and you're put next to somebody and automatically you're married. I've never clapped eyes on him before and I don't want to again. He was a nightmare. I'm glad he got put out. Scumbag. He's old enough to be my da. There you go. Stop assuming. Uh, diehard Rangers supporter Lynn and her boy were delighted to get tickets for the friendly against West Ham. They had no idea they would end up sitting next to to the yob who was wearing a Millwall top. Lynn told how the incident took its toll on her son. She said, My wee boy was terrified. He's a nervous wreck because of that prick. Aye, that's me, but I'm trying to calm down my wee boy. Lynn was offended that anyone would think she was married to the idiot because of the huge age gap. She, she added, I don't know who he is. I'm not married. Certainly not to that. He's old enough to be my granda. Never mind my wains. He must be about 60. I'm in my 30s. I'm not that fucking hard up. Rangers fans raised the alarm when they spotted the yob wearing the Millwall strip before he tried to cover it with a jacket. He was soon thrown out. Uh, Ibrox bosses said he'd been banned and police were investigating. So there's a picture of him there. Yep, he is doing a Nazi thug. He is doing the sort of standard yeah. Nazi salute. What a fanny. There's a picture of him. I don't know what he's doing there. Uh, he's sort of zipping up his jacket, I assume. <laughs> but then there's a picture of diehard Jers fan Lynn wearing uh, Rangers blue lipstick and uh, a She's got a filter in the picture and she's got a union jack draped over her shoulder. And she looks fucking raging in that oh, picture as well. So she does. I mean, she's like her, that's maybe she's like her, her sort of resting face is absolutely furious. <clears throat> so yeah, that's old Lynn from Ibrox. I saw this article um, the last weekend about the guy getting thrown out for doing the Nazi salute. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's the, as you say, the typical one finger doing the moustache yeah. and the other with the hand raised and I did read that he wasn't a Rangers fan apparently he was a Millwall fan yeah. I, I did spot this woman sat next to him funnily enough and I can't believe she's now had to go to the papers <laughs> to say people think it's her man I'm, I'm quite confused in one instance um, she says that he's old enough to be her dad and then the next instance says he's old enough to be my granddad yeah, like I, I thought it... he's 60 mind you if she's from Govan then maybe yeah 60 and she's 30 yeah that could work actually she could actually be his grandfather fucking old enough <laughs> old enough to be her great granddad <laughs> I, I could see how this could um possibly come out people would maybe see her and think that they were associated because they were sitting together but i love that you don't go to the pictures and sit next to someone <laughs> and you're married that's uh yeah wonderful yeah this i mean the thing is there's quite a lot of guys around them um like other fans all the like, a, a sea of uh I see of the current uh, Rangers jersey. And nobody seems to be reacting particularly to what he's doing. She seems to be looking down the row. She doesn't even seem to realise what, what he's up to either there, doing his Nazi salute. But I mean, I think the bigger question here is, who travels all the way to Glasgow from London to sit in the home end just to make Nazi salutes? You know, I mean, he's a fucking... I mean, like, I don't know if he's 60, but he's definitely a grown-up. You know? Well, I think the, the the whole thing this here was that he's a Millwall fan and they were playing West Ham, so it was the West Ham fans that he was oh, making the gesture right, right. towards. And I don't, I don't understand. Like, I'm not even 
sure about why I'm not sure about the West Ham kind of connotations with with Nazi. I could understand if it was Tottenham because obviously they have a big Jewish mm-hmm. kind of contingent, and yeah. that it wouldn't make sense. But you know what I mean? Yeah, it yeah. makes sense why this idiot would be doing yeah. some sort of gesture. But I don't know. I don't know why um, he's doing that. We need to look into that. But yeah, what a fucking fanny! You don't do that kind of thing. But poor woman to be associated. Um, <laughs> she came up with a belter of a quote towards the end. Was it like I'm not that hard up? Yeah. Um, <laughs> not, not that fucking hard up. <laughs> well, she's got her blue lipstick. She's got a Union Jack, and she can yeah yep. happily go to the next Rangers game and not be bothered by any Nazis. Yep. Hopefully, hopefully. Uh, all righty. What's your second story this week? Um, I've got a story from the Scottish Sun this week, Craig. Um, and it's uh, the headline is "Sleeper Pain." I boarded sleeper train from Glasgow, and it never left the station. Staff didn't even wake me up. Uh, so this is a Scot who boarded a sleeper train to London, uh, was left to snooze through the night without being told that the service would never depart from Glasgow. Jim Metcalf said that he woke up in the wrong city this morning after him and other Caledonian sleeper passengers were left to sleep without knowing the train had actually been cancelled. Mr Metcalf, who is a charity chief executive based in uh, East Renfrewshire, was due to travel to London for work on the Caledonian Sleeper Service at 11.40 on Tuesday, July 20th. The 43-year-old uses the service occasionally throughout the year for business trips. Um, He said, I can't... Now, this doesn't make sense to me. I can't sleep before it starts moving, so I get on early and try to sleep first. So I got on at 10.30... And I was asleep by 11. That was it, really. Then there was a knock at the door at 5 o'clock. And a guy appeared with a rolling sausage and a coffee. And he explained, the train hasn't moved. (laughs) Uh, We we were told to get off because they needed the platform back. It was quite surreal. I should have been 300 miles away. Uh, Having confirmed that the sleeper was still running before he set out to Glasgow Central, Mr Metcalf said he was initially frustrated by the situation, but then he praised rail staff for their handling of the issue. He added, I would say it was a difficult situation. Uh, The onboard train staff were really calm and professional, and they handled it as best they could. I just went home. It was a minor inconvenience, but it's bringing home what really is happening around the world with the climate emergency. It made it very real knowing that you were experiencing it in real time. Uh, all direct journeys between London and Scotland were cancelled due to damage from a heat wave that we had in the UK last uh, week. We had, I don't know, well, I'm saying we, we don't fucking live there. Um, as temperatures soared to over 40 degrees, causing train tracks to overheat and buckle. Uh, many of those heading for London faced long queues from Glasgow Central. Uh, and managing director of Caledonian Sleeper said, We apologise to all guests affected by the cancellation of our overnight services between London and and Scotland. So, something's not right here. This guy's got on this train, and the first thing that doesn't sit right with me is that I can't sleep before it starts moving. So I get on early and try to sleep first. Mm-hmm. So I got on at 10.30. Now, this service is due to leave at 11.40. So he gets on the train an hour and 10 minutes ahead. He's asleep within half an hour, and then he sleeps for a full six hours, gets woken up with a rolling sausage and coffee, and told that he hasn't moved anywhere. But I wonder at what point they realised that the train wasn't going to leave, because that's quite a long time to sit, well, you know, it might leave, yeah. it might not, you know, then in fact, like, sort of, what, seven hours nearly later, they're like, yeah, we're not going anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> I can understand maybe, like, after a couple of hours, you're thinking, well, that's happening, but you're like, well, it's not a baby, mm. like, it's not like, oh, he's sleeping, don't, don't disturb him, don't disturb him, no, just wake him up, <laughs> yeah. like, get off. Get off. We need the we need the track back. The fact that they've gone the effort to cook breakfast know, for them, <laughs> give them is is very nice. Yeah. So that's cost them a lot of money, and they're going to refund them for the tickets as well. You know, fair play to them. Yeah. But 
it, it's a, a bizarre story. Something's not right here. I, I, I don't know. There's a conspiracy here. I've never taken a sleeper, but I've always quite liked the idea of it. I almost, I almost took it once because I was, I used to get the train to London quite regularly when I lived in Glasgow, and I, I don't know, I, I thought that the last train to London would have left later than sort of six thirty in the evening, but it, it, it doesn't, and I just assumed, so I end up missing the train. And I got to the station. Oh. I, I went to the desk and I asked what my options were. And the girl said, well, you could take the sleeper. She said it's, uh, like I said, it was like £85. And I was like, well, that's all right. Because the tra- the, the, the normal ticket was like 110 So I'm thinking like £85 is, is fine. She said, well, she said, if you want like a cabin though, it's £150. And if you want, uh, if you want okay. a cabin to yourself... I was like, what? Imagine like oh. sharing with a stranger. You, you never get to sleep. Um, yeah. It was like more. So I ended up, I managed to get a flight uh, a bit later in the <laughs> evening. But um, but yeah, so I don't think it's quite, I think if you want to have the full sleeper experience, it's quite a lot of money. It's like, fucking hell, is this a train or a youth hostel? I'm not sharing with someone. <laughs> Especially if you're never leaving. I know. God knows what, you know, who knows what could happen to you when you're sound asleep. Never mind. But uh, Mr. Metcalf said, you know, it was a, uh, yeah, I just went home. It was a minor inconvenience. Yeah. So, but it really hit home to him um, about the climate emergency. Oh, well. So I'm glad that Mr. Metcalf knows about that, and I hope he's cutting down on his nice CO2 carbon emissions use and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Every cloud, as they say. Every cloud. Every. Uh, exactly. Uh, okay. Have you got anything else this week, Greg? No more stories for me. I think you've got a last one. I do. You? I've got a very quick one, um, and this is from the Scottish Sun today, um, and the headline is "Tat was stupid." This is a Scot who has branded herself as an idiot after trying to burn off her own tattoo with a cigarette. Uh, The girl from Aberdeen decided to attempt the painful DIY tat removal on a drunken night out. And it's a little TikTok and uh, she's got the little caption there saying, have this tattoo I hate and I thought I could burn it off with a fag when I was steaming. So there's photos of her DIY attempt and it looks very fucking painful. Mm. Uh, She admitted that she never liked the inking, two arrows and a dotted line near her wrist. And getting that tattoo in the first place was another boozy mistake. Sharing a video of her reckless stunt, she said, I have this tattoo I hate and I thought I could burn it off with a fag when I was steaming. Didn't work. It hurts so bad. Don't try to burn off your tattoos, kids. A picture show of her skin red and blistered after her tattoo fail, with the inking still firmly in place. When one follower suggested she could get a cover-up of the tattoo instead, the girl revealed, I don't like tattoos at all. I got this one when I was drunk. Uh, Others were less sympathetic. One wrote, I mean, why? Uh, A second said, duh, you can't burn it off. You need to get it professionally removed. While a third simply said, laser removal. So yeah, she... um, she tried to burn off her tattoo with a cigarette. And why would you even attempt that? Well, because you were steaming. <laughs> like, like she was. Yeah, you'd have to be a hell of a drunk to be like, I, I know what a good idea is. Yeah. I'm going to burn this off. Like, no matter if you don't like your tattoo at all, you, you're still not going to attempt that. That's just crazy. I mean, I've heard that um, even like the even laser removal of tattoos is quite painful after the fact. You know what I mean? That yeah. they, right, directly after, it's quite painful for a few days. I mean, maybe she won't. Maybe she's not, she doesn't sound like she's that bright in the first place if she's going and getting tattooed when she's pissed and then well, you know. to say i don't even like tattoos like and then she gets one when she's pissed surely you can't be that against it really if you're getting one done anyway <laughs> never mind uh, yeah lots of idiots let's hope a fucking seagull attacks her on the sainsbury's car park <laughs> maybe she could persuade the seagull to, to, to peck it off for her 
that's, that's not a bad idea, actually. She could drape some bacon over yeah, it yeah. and just hope that it kind of swoops down and takes the chunk out of her arm. <laughs> yeah. Make a TikTok out of that. Yes. Balance a cheese sandwich in her wrist. <laughs> <laughs> Probably just peck it in the tit or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right then, Greg. Uh, okay, well, I guess that wraps up the news for this week. Uh, before we go on to what we're going to be talking about this week, let's have a little word from our sponsor. <laughs> Okay, so it was your choice this week, Nikki. Uh, what are we talking about today? Oh, okay, thanks, Greg. Uh, yeah, so I picked something that it turns out neither of us had actually mm. seen. So I uh, today we're going to be talking about the 1985 film Restless Natives. Directed by Michael Hoffman, the story follows the adventures of two Scottish youths from Edinburgh, Will and Ronnie, played by Vincent Friel and Joe Mullaney, who are in rebellion of their drab lives and they become modern-day highwaymen. Riding Ronnie's trusty Suzuki motorbike, they don masks of a wolfman and a clown and hold up tourist coaches in the Highlands and become something of tourist attractions themselves. Also starring Ned Beatty, uh, the film was a massive success in Scotland, but failed in other markets. Uh, Greg, you mentioned last week that you had never seen this. Uh, so was that the case when you came to watch it or did it bring back some memories? No, no, I've, I had never seen it. I saw there was a documentary about Scottish television years and years ago. I think it was like ST, STV uh, were having an anniversary or something. And um, there was a bit of footage from a TV show maybe or something. It looks sort of late 70s, early 80s. I think uh, Alex Norton was this, like a young Alex Norton in it and... It was two guys kind of romancing two women who were on a tour of Scotland on holiday. And like, uh, mm. the bit I remember was Norton and the other actor that he was with, so they chasing after their tour bus in a MG sports car or similar. And I thought, yeah. I thought it might, okay. I thought it might be that when, when you, um, when you described it. But no, I'd, I'd, I'd never ever seen this. I've never seen it. I'm, I'm surprised that it didn't do that well outside of Scotland because some of the the, the the photography of the Scottish Highlands is on a par with the photography of Local Hero, you know? I mean, it looks incredible. And I wonder, because this was 1985, so I think this was kind of cashing in on maybe the success of Local Hero. And, and you can, we'll come on to later, you can see the, the heavily Bill Forsyth influences in this film. Mm. So I think they, they maybe took an American director and took an American actor in Ned Beatty into Scotland and let's make this film that's going to kind of emulate local hero. Mm -hmm. But of course, it, it didn't quite. It's a, it's a short film. It's only like an hour and 22 minutes long. And I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I, I almost wish that I'd watched this when I was younger because I, I don't know how it escaped me. Because as I say, this is often in kind of the top 10 lists along with like Gregory's Girl, Local Hero and Trainspotting and stuff. But it's very much of that era. And I'm not quite sure how I didn't see this late night on mm. BBC on a Sunday evening or something. But yeah, watching it now, I... I genuinely the first time that i'd seen it and i watched it 
twice this week and i would say the first time i i did enjoy it but i'd say the second time i enjoyed it a lot more it's it's a harmless film it, it, it's it's quite fun mm. um quite a lot of um banter and, and action going on this is some great appearances in it some very strange appearances like mel smith for example <laughs> just popping up randomly for a scene uh but yeah i, I mean I, I did enjoy it but what about yourself what did you think of it overall and i i, I liked it yeah i mean i did I enjoyed it um the uh it's it's a good natured film you know i guess oh. you know i, I think we're going to keep sort of drawing comparisons between this and and a local hero but it's it's a good anyway all the characters even ian mccall's sort of mad nigel who comes into the story a bit later a bit later in the film you know like this everyone's intentions are 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 good and the sort the, you know the kind of well uh, played by vincent feel his um sort of clash of conscience at the beginning about whether they should be doing it and all this sort of stuff whether they should be robbing people and you know the the the, the way that they so politely rob these buses full of american tourists and stuff you know and it's all please and thank you and sorry <laughs> um yeah it's uh it's just it's just like a really nice film and it's and it's like in a perfect length i think if it was longer it might start to the parts of it i I I think the first half is stronger than the second half of the film for sure um yeah as you say i think it's perfect length it could almost have been shorter there are a few parts that Mm. it's kind of unnecessary and drags on a little bit there's effectively a 90 second scene about a, a dustman picking up money yeah. and then doing a little jig <laughs> and it's like okay I, I can kind of see why you're doing that because you're trying to rip off bill Forsyth and have a little kind of a side yeah. there but it doesn't quite work in this the film is obviously set in well 1985 and it's set at the time of quite high unemployment and and thatcher's britain um effectively and and of course there was a a very famous story of a tory minister who told scots that uh, they should get on their bikes to find a job which is maybe what inspired this yeah. in terms of the the two guys they they ride ronnie's suzuki off into the highlands to to start robbing tour buses yeah. I mean, the, the two of them are quite disillusioned will is working for the corporation effectively as a, a a sweeper sweeping up and it kind of reminded me of Rapsy Nesbitt in a way when he was sweeping everything up in, in terms of the episode of work mm. when he, he's sweeping up the leaves and he's like I blow them here and then the, the wind blows mm-hmm. them there and blows them everywhere um, and he, he just can't get anything and then of course Ronnie works in this joke shop which is a, a wonderful place it reminded me very much did you ever go to the joke factory in Aberdeen it was just off George Street. No, it, the one that reminded me of, though, was very famous Tam Shepherd's joke shop on Queen Street in Glasgow, which is still there. It's been there for, hmm. I'm not sure, uh, well over 70 or 80 years. A really long time. Um, but I yeah, okay. I actually thought that that, they might, that that it might have been set there. Um, they, they might have used the uh, Tam Shepherd's uh, for the set, but there's a video on YouTube. This guy does, like film locations at the time and now and he's got one for restless mm. natives and it looks it's been a, it's a shop in edinburgh that they used for hardwick's joke shop um which now looks to be like a redeveloped sort of building what i like about the film is that there's no preamble mm. it goes straight into mm-hmm. it. the you know, first scene is them going out to do their first robbery to uh the lovely nanette newman and yeah. um her her husband uh brian forbes and obviously the kind of first robbery fails, but there's there's no preamble or backstory as to why they've decided to do this. It's just straight in, this is what they do. Yeah. They they start robbing. And obviously the first robbery fails, yeah. though they get fifty P for Ragweed. Yeah. Um but then they, they go back and kind of 
come up with a, a better way to do things in terms of robbing these tourist buses, wearing their wolfman and clown mask that they get from the joke shop, obviously. It was nice to see Annette Newman. I, d- I don't know about you, but I always remember her doing <sighs> the Fabi Liquid advert when I was a kid and having such a crush on her mm-hmm. when I was little. <laughs> she was gorgeous when she was doing those Fabi. And she certainly is in, in this yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah she's a very, very um, beautiful woman. Yeah. The interesting thing about this film, and I was reading a bit about it, there's not an awful lot on Wikipedia about it, but I found an article in The, Guard- in the Guardian, sort of like a, a retro review of it, a bit like what we are doing. The script... Uh, was actually a winning entry in a screenwriting competition. Uh, the author, uh, the wonderfully named Ninian Dunnett, it's, it's the only thing uh, that they ever wrote, um, but the only sc- the only screenwriting they ever did. Um, he kind of went on to become an author and a social historian. But yeah, I think it won. Um, it won this uh, screenwriting competition. That was the, the first step in, in getting the film made. But the the themes that you mentioned before. Um, I mean, and I don't know how intentional this is, but the the article goes on to say that it's it's sort of the themes of you know the, the the sort of theme of it being a sort of superficial light social comedy film. You know, it's actually there's kind of a lot about a lot of kind of nods toward the Scottish nationalist movement. Mm. You know, and you know, the the fact that they are they are robbing because they can't get decent jobs. You know, they Will's a street sweeper at the beginning of the film before he well it's never really confirmed whether he's been sacked or whether he's resigned when he's having the conversation mm. with his dad and uh, I'm sure working in the joke shop doesn't pay Ronnie very much money either but you know the sort of best jobs he could get so although it, in the face of it it is very light comedy you know they, there there could well be a more of a more of a social agenda at work underneath um, the screenplay trying to highlight some of the things that Scotland was going through in the in the mid 1980s and as you say they're, they're very polite robbers mm. in terms of it and, and they don't use real firearms in fact we have a wonderful scene where they're buying their guns yeah. from the the kids well in fact it's will's sister and um her boyfriend i presume and <laughs> buying these toy guns and then they have the, the kind of joke shop plunger thing mm-hmm. which ronnie seems to wield which has a combination of itching powder sneezing powder curry powder athlete's foot powder and some stuff i got out of an old firework a wonderful combination and they use it um well in their first robbery uh they blast it into ned Beatty's face uh, when <laughs> yeah. he tries to intervene with the robbery quite strange so they're, they're robbing a busload of american tourists and and the tourists are obviously quite surprised mm. that, that they're getting robbed but all of a sudden ned Beatty just pops yeah. up trying to calm things down because he's a I don't know if it's confirmed is he like a CIA yeah. agent that on holiday in Scotland yeah I think yeah that's, um, currently that's what they say right he's I don't think they call it the CIA yeah. as such but some sort of made up no. crime agency yeah, yeah. it's like the central security agency or something that they that they say uh so yeah, he's on holiday. They just happen to to rob his bus, and he gets a a face full of the itching powder, sneezing powder, curry powder, athlete's foot powder, and stuff he got out of an old firework. <laughs> uh, and he kind of goes on this kind of vengeance mission to try and track them down. Now, first of all, what's Ned Beatty doing in this film? I'd, like, there's no need for him really. I I can see the point of of having it's maybe for the American audience. Yeah. I don't know, but. You could do without him. Just have Robert Ucker as the the Scottish detective. He's the one that wants to hunt them down. The whole storyline about him getting divorced and and custody of the dog and when they put his phone in the drawer and stuff. Mm. Did we need that? It's not even that funny, really. And is he purely in there just to an American audience? Because Ned Beatty, of course, huge. And of course, we lost him, was it last year or the year before? Last Um, year, And 
Last year, yeah. And a tremendous actor in terms of deliverance, incredible film. And of course, I, I know you're a, a massive fan of the, the first two Superman films. Yeah. That of course he's in as, as Lex Luthor's kind of sidekick. Uh, why is he in this film? What is the need for? I him? think if you, really? if you look at if you look at it in context with the rest of the cast, so the two leads, you know, not not even particularly famous in Scotland at the time. Um, and I was looking, obviously, Vincent Friel uh, would go on to play Diane's dad in um, Train Spotting. It's probably <laughs> his most uh, high profile role since. Um, yeah. He did uh, Restless Natives. I mean, he's, he's obviously, he's, he's done the kind of Rabsy Nesbitt, Taggart and Still Game kind of trinity. And then <laughs> uh, Joe, Joe Mullaney, who plays Ronnie, I mean, he's got a face that is just really familiar. And um, yeah. he, he, apparently he's now working, this is according to, to Wikipedia, so you can, who knows if it's true or not, but apparently he's working as a role play actor now for medical students, but he was a regular on Take the High Road. And he was a regular mm. on a program that I've seen an episode or two of on YouTube, but there's not enough of it for us to do on the Swally, but there's a, a kind of late 70s, early 80s program called Maggie mm. about a girl growing up, a sort of teenage girl She's just left school and attending college in Glasgow uh, in the very early 1980s, which would have been quite an interesting one to do. But there doesn't seem to be an awful lot of it available to... But he's a regular on that as well, because he's, I, he's IMDB. So you've got those two guys. You've got Bernard Hill, who's just a few years a few years after he's done Boys from the Black Stuff, uh, very obviously mm. very famous British um, drama about... Uh, about unemployment in Liverpool in the early 1980s. And then, you know, that's kind of it. Like the other, like the rest of the cast, obviously there's, there's Dave Anderson, um, who is very well known to, who'd be very well known to Scottish audiences. Obviously it's very well known to us. I think if you, um, you know, because you have Ned Beatty in there, you know, like there's, there's going to be a little bit of credibility. I think, I think you've nailed it um, in terms of kind of selling it around the world. Because Ned Beatty at the time, a very recognised actor i mean those two superman films were absolutely massive i mean if if that was all he had done before rest of natives he would still be very very recognized and well known but you know he's got a string of massive parts under his belt before he did this so so yeah i mean it's surprising that he's in there because it's essentially quite a low budget kind of small scottish film it's it's quite uh they've done quite well to talk him into it and i'm sure he probably then I'm sure he probably got paid more than anybody else, but for him it was probably more the chance to have mm-hmm. a bit of a holiday in Scotland and maybe play a bit of golf and you know do a bit of sightseeing and things and uh, basically do exactly what his character's doing, yeah, just taking exactly. a little tour of Scotland and having a little uh, holiday. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Yeah, I can maybe understand why he's in here. And as I say, I think it is to do with a lot of the cashing in on kind of the, the success of local hero, and and that that's why they've they've done this, yeah. and that's maybe why. Nebby's in here. Nebby is the is the uh, Burt Lancaster of Restless Natives, perhaps. Actually, you've kind of hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what he is, really. So yeah, we kind of touched upon the two main actors in terms of Vincent Friel and uh, Joe Mullaney. Well, played by Vincent Friel. At the end of the day, he's a bit of a wet blanket, he is a bit, really, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's, he sort of he's got his warts in his fingers, and he asks his mum, "Does doing bad things give you warts?" <laughs> and that's not really a conversation for the dinner table, no. is it? You know, and you think, I mean, he, he, he looks like he's about 25 as well. You would think he would be beyond yeah. asking his mother <laughs> questions that he'd be, well, you'd hope that he would be beyond living at home. But, um, but yeah, he's, uh, in, he's, every time I looked at him, he looks 
so much like Michael McIntyre. I saw a slightly thinner, taller Michael McIntyre, don't you think? God, yeah. I never thought about that, but you're right. You're <laughs> yeah. totally right. He does. Yeah. yeah. I just, I didn't warm to, he is a, a good character and he does have his moments. I do like his, his interactions with Margot, uh, Fred. Mm-hmm by um terry lally and and you know when he's on the kind of travelator and walking backwards and and that's quite a funny scene mm. it, and it kind of reminded me a little bit of maybe like a john gordon sinclair yeah, yeah. Girl, yeah kind of sure. the, the way and and again ripping off bill forsyth it's just what this movie <laughs> is doing I, I could see that he does have some good scenes um in terms of that but the character of Will just overall just a big wet blanket you know it's all about Ronnie Ronnie's the one I want to spend more time with Ronnie's interesting you know it works in the joke shop he's got a his hamster um, Bruce Bruce, <laughs> is it the hamster? Bruce, yeah. Bruce that's it um, <laughs> who he feeds too much and it's just got this amazing story throughout when you, you see him mm-hmm. at this gravestone throughout the film yeah. talking and you're wondering who it is the big reveal towards the end is like I don't even know who's down there I just <laughs> yeah picked it and i talked to him <laughs> that, yeah that was probably the second biggest laugh i got out of this film uh in terms of the reveal that he doesn't know who's actually down there and just talking to this random grave and telling them all of his woes and all of his stories yeah and on on that video that i saw on youtube of the restless natives locations then and now there the gravestone is it's obviously still there it's at the necropolis in uh, glasgow um yeah okay and yeah so that the actual gravestone the the guy's gone and found it um which must have taken him quite a long time because i'd imagine that the i mean it's a big it's a it's a big old cemetery as you can imagine but the sort of the view from that hill is quite different now to what it was then in 1985 you know like all that a lot of that industrial stuff in Springburn's been pulled down you can see Site Hill um, some of those tower blocks are pulled down so he's done well to find it so he has uh, yeah that's quite impressive yeah, yeah to, to find that okay so I, yeah I think obviously a lot of this is filmed in Edinburgh because yeah. you see a lot of Edinburgh sites but I think there were quite a few parts filmed in Glasgow as well yeah Anderson bus station is where the buses leave from in the film um, it's not Edinburgh. Mm. And I think, you know, I think they're down at Leith, I think, aren't they? Um, you know, for the scenes when Will, Will and Margot are down, walking down by the docks side. I think that's Leith Docks. Yeah, um, yeah. Which has obviously all been gentrified and it'd be a lot nicer than I imagine it was when they were shooting down there in <laughs> mid-1980s. If you meet a girl that you, you really like and obviously he, he meets her when he's robbing the bus. Mm-hmm. So Margot is the, the kind of tour guide on the bus that he robs. He chases after her again to give her some flowers and then he hunts her down at the bus station and, and why wouldn't you because margo is very attractive she's she's 80s hot yeah definitely we yeah for sure um she's she's a very beautiful woman mm-hmm. um so they kind of go on their first date and one of the first things he does is have a piss behind a bush <laughs> yeah. now i understand he was bursted but again like, has a piss behind the bush and she's just waiting there. He doesn't wash his hands, and yeah. obviously, but he could have went to the sea and had a little wash. But um, yeah, that just strikes me as a very odd thing, just to have a, a piss behind a bush. It's a different time, as, mate. You know, different times. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a thing as well, like the scene where we see Will at his job in Princess uh, Street Gardens when he's sweeping up the litter. I mean, I remember like in the 80s, there was fucking litter everywhere. Because nobody, like, gave a fuck back then. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, I can remember my dad's, like, taking his last cigarette out of the box in the car and just, like, flinging the box out the window <laughs> as we're driving along. You know what I mean? Just, like, nobody gave a fuck. And I remember, like, 
on, on on kids TV and at school and everywhere there was a lot of uh, anti litter campaigns and stuff. But I mean, if you look at the big cities in the UK now, like Glasgow or Aberdeen, that they they're much cleaner than they were back then. Much yeah. cleaner. I, I don't think that's necessarily an exaggeration. That scene when he's sweeping up fucking piles and piles of trash. I seem to remember a campaign in Aberdeen actually when I was a kid, and the slogan was "Don't be a litter lout, mm. put it in a bin about." Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that too. There you go. So yeah, anti-litter campaign. Yeah, yeah. there you go. I think I was probably a member of that. Around about the same time, I was probably a member of Smokebusters well, I could, before I took up a twenty a day habit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I remember, I remember winning a, a book token at Cubs because there was a competition to design an anti litter poster, and uh, mm. my one won, so I won a five pound book token at the Cubs. Oh, congratulations! Yep. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, can you remember what book you bought with a five pound book token? Can't remember. I can't remember what I was reading then. It's a good chance it was probably a like a Hardy Boys or a one of those. Um, remember those books you used to get where you sort of, if you want to open the door, turn the chap, turn the page. That then. Uh, what was that? F- they were like, fighting fantasy or something. I want to say it was like. I want to say it was like Lone Wolf or something. Yeah. Or, but I know what you mean. The the choose your own adventure books. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. They, they, yeah. These were a particular. Yeah series i remember it was like ian livingston and one other guy they wrote them together i think they became attached to games workshop or uh our old pals church of worship <laughs> old uh, techno joke um yeah i think they're called fight and fantasy or something like that you used to have to like if you if you got into like a fight you had to like roll the dice and stuff like that and, and, and oh, okay. but of course everybody cheated because you're not going to be like oh no i've lost i'll go back <laughs> to fucking page whatever you're like you, you lose you're like yeah fuck that i want you know <laughs> so they're, they're, they're Discipline and honesty, which were uh, uh, qualities that I wasn't exactly abundant with when I was when I, when I was like ten or eleven years old. <laughs> to talk about the the cast a little bit more, we have, as you mentioned, Bernard Hill yeah. playing Will's father, and as you say, he was pretty famous at the time mm. because he was in Boys the Black stuff, playing Yosa Hughes, and uh, tremendous actor, and he is brilliant in the role. He's very funny, but oh my god. His accent is fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah. Could you not have cast... A, now, I, we don't do this often on um, the Culture Swally, but if we were to have like a little recasting yeah. session, I mean, surely at this time, 1985, you would have someone... I, I mean, one of the perfect people would have been Ian McCall, but yeah. of course, he's so good as Nigel, so you couldn't have him as the, the father. But there must have been someone else. Oh. I, I was trying to think, and I was like, even um, going back to, I guess, um, Local Hero, Mm-hmm. Um, you could even have Dennis um, Lawson. Oh God, it's Dennis Lawson yeah. as as the father. He would have been about a, maybe slightly too you were, young. You were going but... to say Dennis Nielsen there, weren't you? I was going to say Dennis Nielsen. <laughs> <laughs> you know my love of serial killers for too much. Yeah, I was going to say Dennis Nielsen. Yeah. Um, you could have Dennis Lawson. He would have been absolutely perfect yeah. in that role and kind of kind of the sarky but loving father. You, mean, you um, could have put Dave Anderson in the role. Is it because like, the 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 part he plays yeah. is a fairly inconsequential yeah. part? I mean, if if that if if yeah. if all those scenes were cut from the film, it wouldn't make any difference. You know what I mean? Norton wouldn't have been too young, but he was still looking like a young Phil Collins at the <laughs> yeah. time, and he wouldn't have been suited for that. <laughs> would uh, Cosmo? Would Cosmo? Cosmo would have been fine for it. Yeah, no, he's been all right. He'd have been okay for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th- I, th- I, think, I, th- I think Cosmo's I'd... always been able to play older <laughs> anyway. You know what I mean? He's even yeah. if, so, and that's it's no slight on Bernard Hill's performance. I think his performance is fantastic. Yeah. But his accent is just all over the place. And I was like, why don't you 
cast a Scottish accent or a Scottish accent, a Scottish actor, or at least give a little bit of a, an inkling that he's from the north of England mm. and he's moved up to Scotland. Yeah, and, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, and he's kind of maybe lost his accent a little bit and picked up a little bit of mm-hmm. Scottish. It just needs one or two lines of, yeah, but when you were working, you were born and raised in Hull or mm-hmm. something. It, it, that's all it needs. I, I just find the accent quite off-putting. Yeah. But a, a great performance. And there's some brilliant little scenes, like when he smacks the daughter over the back of the head after she's blown out the candle and stuff, or well, blown it out, but put the lasagna uh, or cottage pie spoon oh, yeah. on it yeah, um, yeah that's right yeah, yeah. <laughs> he does have some brilliant bits and he's of course he's in love with the bandits mm-hmm. he he loves what they're getting up to and their adventures little does he know that his son that's is all. one of the bandits ha! police are today searching for two young scots who held up and robbed a coach load of tourists on a remote highland road <laughs> <laughs> Disguised as a clown and a wolfman, they took an estimated £600 in cash and an unknown quantity of valuables from the 40 frightened passengers before riding off at high speed into the hills again. That's terrible. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a strange choice. Although I, I like Bernard Hill. Um, hmm. You know, and of course he's gone on to be quite the Hollywood movie star. Like he did the, a couple of the Lord of the Rings films. I think most famously he plays hmm. the captain in the in Titanic, the DiCaprio Winslet Titanic. Of course. Um, yeah. So, you, you know, he didn't do him any harm being in this film. <laughs> but, that way. but then I wonder if he is, if he was like another choice for similar reasons to Ned Beatty. You know what I mean? Um, mm. Potentially. I don't know. It could be at the time who's one of the biggest TV stars in the UK. Mm-hmm. Well, it's Bernard Hill. Okay, let's get him in the film and, and see what he does. Yeah. Is that maybe the, the reason for Mel Smith having a little cameo in this as well? Because I guess. Smith and Jones would have been uh, quite popular yeah. at the time as well. So he has just a little fleeting appearance as um Well I think is that well, it's kind of like gangster, heavy kind of yeah. guy in the, the, the snooker club. I think he um I think he had you know, he was quite well known anyway from not the nine o'clock news. Because that would have finished yeah. just a couple of years before. I think this might have been before Smith and Jones, or maybe just at the same time. Um, You're probably right, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's about. It's about. I think I read somewhere in my research that that him, Brian Forbes, and the Net Newman just did a little cameo as a favour to the director, uh, Michael Hoffman. You know, so I think he'd been working. He'd been working in the UK for a number of years before he directed this film. Yeah. yeah apparently, he is an Anglophile, and a word that I'd never heard before for somebody who's very enthusiastic about Scotland. I'm going to try, try to pronounce it properly. A Caledonia file. Is that what he hmm. said? Uh, but directed okay. by Anglophile and Caledonia file, American Michael Hoffman. So I think uh, I think he did it as a favour, if I, if that's correct in the research that I did earlier. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was great to see him pop up in that that little role. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess the kind of one of the last main cast members is the the very famous Robert Uckert, yeah. um, who was of course a big Hammer Horror. Uh, film star yep. back in the day yeah he was i like um I, he's, he did a couple of episodes of the hammer house of horror anthology series that used to be on the tv that i really like and if you know if you ever if you ever have like a bit of time to kill it's worth there's a few episodes on youtube there's a good one with brian cox in it actually hammer house of horror used to be on very late at night um, when we were kids mm. yeah i like that sort of thing yeah he's i think he's really good in it and i, th- I think he's a bit underused 
to be honest, because he's obviously quite a dry sense of humour. To your point, it might have been more fun having him as the as a kind of the sort of bumbling uh, pursuing police officer, you know, and just get rid of the Ned Beatty stuff. Yeah, but then like bumbling, but also very clever at mm. the end of the day, which is kind of the reveal because yeah. you kind of think he's just this parochial kind of scottish all he's interested in is fishing mm-hmm. but then at the end of the day he's very clever when he he lets the guys go at the end and says like tourism's up 15 percent yeah I, I can't let you go but you know we need to to solve something here mm-hmm. yeah i almost think he should have kind of been the main guy after them along with the the two cops that they have who very much reminded me of the two andes from hot fuzz yeah, yeah. um in terms of the just they're always joking about and passing notes to each other and just being idiots again <clears throat> like let's just talk about it now this is a complete bill forsyth <laughs> yeah. um this film um it's it's got all the trappings of a bill forsyth film in terms of like smart arse little sister there's there's little aside kind of things like the the buying of the guns and and the kid that comes into the joke shop constantly to to buy stink bomb uh, plastic turd and stuff uh the mum always kind of exercising in the background and and th- th- there's all these little tropes of a bill forsyth film but it's not a bill forsyth film. no it's it's very much like when tarantino came out and there was a million reservoir dogs and pop yeah, fiction yeah. ripoffs and or uh, you know there's all these things that happen the, the, these films suddenly come out and then you just get all these ripoffs um like when scream came mm-hmm. out for example the horror kind of franchise was kind of dead wes craven takes out scream and then all of a sudden you have all these ripoffs of i know what you did last summer yeah. and wrong turn urban legends all these films yeah. just yeah, exactly. Just ripping off. And I think that's what they were trying to do here with uh, with Local Hero being such a big success. They were trying to kind of replicate that and, and make it thing. And don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed this film, mm-hmm. but it's not a Bill Forsyth film. It's not a Gregory's Girl. It's not a Comfort and Joy. It's not a Local Hero. No. It's just it's just missing that Bill Forsyth is such a sharp mind and such a clever way of doing things. And it just it's just lacking something. Yeah. But I really appreciate what they were trying to do, but it's not not a bill forsyth i mean they even have um you know in 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 the way that forsyth had mark knoppler do the soundtrack and all the music for the local hero they've got a uh, big country doing the mu- all the music uh and and a couple of singles as well and i have to say they kind of do it quite well in that they they play the music throughout the film and then towards the end when it's the big kind of scene that they're going around edinburgh with aberdeen and hibs fans chasing them and stuff when the song kicks in you are kind of like i'm i'm ready for this now yeah, yeah. i've been teased enough i'm i'm here for it and yeah big country come on yeah they were fantastic. They were Scotland's U2. About, there's something about a big country song, like any big country song, that just that just takes me right back to the kind of mid-80s in Scotland. Because yeah. like, they were on adverts, they were on TV shows, yeah. evidently. You know, I, didn't, I had no idea this film existed back then, but they've you know, done a soundtrack. Um, there's just something about, you know, it's very, very distinctive uh, guitar sound. Um, you know, and they almost kind of bagpipish the sound of the guitar you know what i mean i think the only other the only other bands that perhaps do that that in their you know and i, I was never really a big fan really uh was runrig you know you were gonna say <laughs> yeah i was never a big fan of runrig really and that's still not really but um but yeah there's some big country are just you know they, they're sort of edgy as well you know what i mean um like Stuart adamson and, mm. and the, the band is a sort of edginess and a bit of a kind of mythos about them as well um 
Um, mm. and, you know, and the you know the their the music is just perfect for those sweeping big shots of the Scottish Highlands of the guys on their motorbikes zipping along the kind of Highland roads and everything. Um, up near Glencoe and Fort William. Yeah, it's just perfect. There's one shot in particular that just uh, amazed me. I, I watched this twice and I, I kept going back to this one shot. And it's just after Will gives Margot the flowers on mm-hmm. the bus. And he they, they nip ahead of the bus and they're driving off. And you have this shot kind of behind Margot and the bus driver. And it's just the, the full bus window. And you've got Will and uh, Ronnie on the bike, mm-hmm. kind of, and, and Will's giving it the big thumbs up. And it's just this this massive window and this sweeping landscape ahead of them. It's just a, an absolutely incredible yeah. shot. And I, I wonder how they managed to do that. Thinking about a coach, that we, we've all been on coaches like mm. that back in the, the 80s, 90s for school trips and stuff. Yeah. How they managed to create that shot behind a coach of, I wonder if it was, if it was literally two window panes and just the two actors standing there yeah. almost as the thing if it wasn't an actual coach but it just it's just a a, a beautiful kind of expansive shot yeah of this it, it's wonderful yeah yeah there's some there's some great photography in it like superb photography mm. i tell you something that perplexed me a little bit so will's mum and dad's flat so when you see it from the outside you know like it looks like a corporation flat right it looks like a sort of prefab typical mm-hmm. sort of scottish 60s 70s build and it's got that balcony but we're supposed to believe that the balcony has an absolute knockout view of edinburgh castle <laughs> you know <laughs> Like, like, come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess the location uh, kind of wasn't down to a point there in terms of describing things. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, how do we feel about the Japanese racism in this? Because <laughs> obviously we have the two Japanese reporters and they're driving Suzuki Jeeps and uh, obviously it, it turns out it's an advert for Suzuki motorbikes. <laughs> but they're very... I, I am not going to do the accent, um, but it's very stereotypical. And this was kind of the thing back in the day. And I looked up one of the actors who was one of the reporters, yeah. and he basically made a career out of just playing Japanese man. <laughs> um, I, I don't, I do not even want to pronounce his name. He, he's passed away now. He's in Superman Four, um, the Quest for Peace. Actually, um, his name is uh, Eli Kurosawa. Right. Um, but if you look at his IMDb, he has been in everything british as japanese man <laughs> like he was in like the cannon and ball show as japanese man uh he was in terry and june as japanese gentleman um he's in return of the jedi um oh he, he was in tenko um unsurprisingly sure. i guess <laughs> yeah. um uh but he was in like sorry last of the summer wine yeah. uh KYTV. Lovejoy. He was in two episodes of Lovejoy as Mickey Wanawana, maybe. <laughs> like, he just plays like Japanese tourists. He was in Smith and Jones. He plays like Japanese tourists. One foot in the grave. He's Japanese man. He made a massive career out of this, but I felt quite uncomfortable seeing those two Japanese guys. Like, oh, really? Like, is this what we've kind of. Yeah. It's not so much. It's just because they're both wearing like thick black glasses and suits, and mm-hmm. it's very much like. I'm not doing the accent, but it's very much like, oh, so we are here to see the bandits and we don't want to catch them and stuff but yeah 
it, it it felt a little bit too rough for me watching it now. It's not the most racist thing in the film. Well, no. <laughs> um, yes, there is a yeah, there is one line in particular. Yeah. Yes, when Ronnie yeah, yeah. says he's going to go to the pack. I'll I'll say it. He's he's going to go to the packy shop. Yes, yeah, yeah. that's um, and it was a different time back then. Like that that was the uh, what you would refer to it. What I, I do not agree with that. It, it was a different time. But yeah, um, yeah, that is probably the most racist thing in the film when uh, Ronnie mentions uh, going to, yeah. to his local corner shop. But yeah, I, I felt a little bit uncomfortable about the, the Japanese guys and the way they were portrayed. Yeah, I guess, you know, you know so there was... There was quite a lot of money in casual in uh, casual racism in the UK in the in the seventies and eighties. Um, so I'm glad to see that he that guy's made his money anyway as a Japanese man too and eyes wide shut. <laughs> um, why another thing I liked and again this is a very ripping off Bill Forsyth thing is when Will's sister effectively finds out that they are the bandits and blackmails them with all our friends and they they give them jewelry and the police arrest this little girl because she's wearing jewelry and they try to bribe her with a daily milk and all these toys that girl ain't no snitch she's giving nothing up yeah she's just not giving anything away like good honor yeah i know i was in a I don't know. I, I, I don't know if this sort of it took too many minutes to realise what was going on. I don't know if I sort of dropped the thread of the story at one point. But like that scene, I was like, "Why has he got all those toys?" And, and then I realised, ah, because obviously she's the sisters told their friends, and they they've obviously you know they the police have found out from them, blah blah. But yeah, uh, it's um, yeah, she's definitely she's definitely not giving anything away. Another thing that I found. So, uh, not not jarring, but you know, at the beginning when when they try to rob Nanette Newman and Brian Forbes, and they're evidently on a, a sort of driving holiday of Scotland. You know, it's like mm. nobody wearing a seatbelt in the car. It's like two kids. <laughs> I, I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's like it's like <laughs> the two or three kids in the back seat. You can see the and not not that many cars came with seatbelts in the back back then because it wasn't the law um, in the mid eighties to wear a seatbelt in the back of the car. I think it, it it was the law to wear one in the front. But yeah, the kids are just like leaping around in the back seat, like no seatbelt on. Nanette, Nanette Newman, no seatbelt on. <laughs> and it, I was thinking, well, maybe it's because they're filming the scene. Maybe it's just been about something that's been overlooked, but. I don't think it, I think anybody wore a seatbelt no. in the eighties. I, I, I don't really remember. Maybe I, can't, I honestly can't remember. Yeah. I, I was born in eighty one, so I think by the time I think I always remember having to wear a seatbelt. I'm not sure. I, in fact, probably not actually, because back in my day there was no car seats or anything, so mm. I was probably just left to roam around the back seat of the car, roll like, about, crawling around, yeah. and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I remember the first the first car I was ever in with seatbelts in the back was my stepfather's car, and that was like 1986. I think we have to give a shout out to the the robbery scenes as well, and there is one in particular. They have a little kind of montage mm-hmm. of when they're midway through the robbery and they're they get onto the coach, and uh, and there's one scene of the the tourists are really into this, and they actually want to get on a coach mm-hmm. that is going to get robbed because they want to meet the Wolfman and the Clown, and you see one scene where some woman's baked cookies of the wolfman and the clown on them yeah. and then you see the wolfman sitting there with the easter kind of bonnet yeah. on like yeah. posing with the old ladies and they're so polite lovely gentlemen people want to get robbed by them and it, even in the i think the second robbery when he, the woman says i need 10 pounds to go back to the airport and mm. they're, they're 
getting change from the other guys. Like, well, there's five ones and here's a fiver. <laughs> you give me that £50 note. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. They're so polite, lovely gentlemen. Yeah. It's just, uh, that's why it kind of works because they're they're not harming anyone. I did feel a little bit inappropriate of uh, the, the first robbery. The, there is one woman that says, so as she hands him her earrings, uh-huh. she does say, oh, they were my mother's. And he's like, okay. <laughs> you know, and just puts them in yeah. that made me feel a little bit but the rest of it they're they're very polite and let's say giving yeah. change and being nice to all the old ladies um, hello there uh, you may have heard of us we were in the papers last week uh, this is our gun our gun my friend the wolfman he will now come amongst you and collect your cash jewellery and watches there's, there's a, a couple of bits that I wonder if maybe they've ran out of time when they've been editing or they've just been overlooked. But in that that first robbery when Ned Beatty approaches them and uh, Will shoots them with a powder gun thing, and mm. if <laughs> there's a very there's a very quick flash of one of the other tourists, I guess one of the extras on the bus, who starts laughing. <laughs> <I'm> thinking, <laughs> I wonder if that's supposed. To, I don't know if that was supposed to be left in. And there's a there's another piece as well when we first meet Bruce the hamster when Will's round at um uh, uh, Ronnie's and they're talking about uh, Will telling Margot and Ronnie's got the hamster in his hand and he's kind of patting it and stuff and he kind of walks Will to the door and then the hamster's just gone. And I'm like, well, where's the hamster gone? And I don't, oh, it's just, I didn't notice that. Maybe a bit of, kind of, a sort of <laughs> maybe a bit of an overlook in the continuity stakes. Or like I say, maybe they just ran out of time and they were editing. Maybe they had to get the film released. Um, but yeah. Maybe uh, Br- Bruce just went off to get some more £20 notes to make his nest. <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that uh, card skeleton that Ronnie's got in the wall in his flat, I had that exact one when i was when i was like a few years after this film came out but i remember having it in my bedroom the exact one so it kept falling down it was too heavy for the pin that was holding it up it would glow in the dark as well i think the i I said the the second funniest part that i found in this but the the funniest part i found has to be when ian mccall gets up dressed as an old woman wielding that shotgun (laughs) i i did not expect that at all i knew ned bt was going to be on that coach i didn't know ian mccall yeah. Be on it. Uh, as Nigel, sorry. So when he just pops up dressed as an old woman with the little veil yeah. down as well, <laughs> he's just got the shotgun ready. And I, yeah, that was just absolutely hysterical for me. I liked Will's reaction to Ned Beatty because he even even when he reveals himself, he still thinks it's Margot. <laughs> he's like, well, "What have you done to your face?" <laughs> um, I tell you oh. what, I did like. Uh, I liked uh, Ned Beatty's. Pringle jumper. That was a real I, class one. <laughs> Funny enough, I noticed that as well myself. Yeah, um, yeah it was a nice little uh, yeah pink and white number. Yeah, need to have a actually look and see if you uh, can still get Pringle jumpers like that. It was a yeah, it was a beauty. I think you can because they're sort of uh, they're sort of retro chic, aren't they? And I guess the other I guess funny moment has to be the um, the police officer coming into the joke shop and they're terrified, thinking they're rumbled and brilliant acting in the background with Will when he's got this slime and then the police officer just comes out with you know have you got any false tits <laughs> <laughs> it's such an 80s thing as well like plastic boobs like the, the only thing I can think of with that is like Gaza remember was it like Italia 90 he had those plastic 
tits on the bus. Yeah. Like, you don't see them nowadays. No. I mean, there's an episode of Black Adder as well where everyone's wearing what they refer to as a comedy breasts. I think it's Black Adder 2. Oh, yes. And they have the party. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Stephen Fry's got a big gold pair on. <laughs> Ah, yeah, not a kind of uh, thing you think of nowadays, but yeah. Have you got any false tits? <laughs> is, uh, yeah, wonderful. Uh, the, the reaction from Ronnie and Will in that scene is is brilliant, um, as Ronnie's kind of shaking as he puts it in the bag. So on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the film has an 83% tomato meter uh, wow. and uh, 90% audience um, score which is high for like a fairly uh, a fairly um like innocuous Scottish film uh which one of the reviews says um the first half an hour of this film rattles along with plenty of good humor injected with fuller energy by the big country soundtrack which is as dyed in the wool Scottish as a fine highland kilt nice little review there hmm. so yeah it's uh it's it's I think it's one one of these films as you mentioned at the beginning of the review that maybe hasn't been all that successful upon release but over the years has uh, has sort of reached a wider audience like, sort of given the luxury of time you know I do genuinely think though um, I, I don't know if you're of this opinion though that if we had watched this when we were younger then I think it would be a, a, a kind of staple classic mm, for us for sure if you know what I mean yeah. um, and I, I feel bad it's taken us until our early 40s yeah. to watch this almost, almost it, mid-40s it, it, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I said early I was trying to be nice but um, I think if we watched this earlier because we hold Gregory's Girl and yeah. Local Hero and, and stuff with, with such wide regard that yeah. we, we love them because we grew up with them. Yeah. And I, I do wonder if we'd, if we'd grown up with this film, if, if we would have loved it even more. Um, I, I, I thought it was great, yeah. but it wasn't amazing. And I, I'll just always think of it as a, a Bill Forsyth ripoff. But yeah. hey. It, it was good. I think to your point, um, you know, like if we had saw it when we were younger, we probably wouldn't have realised the kind of whole Bill Forsyth sort of connection and everything. No. You know what I mean? It's, of course not. So maybe no. m- maybe coming to it at the age we have done is perhaps taking a little bit of the shine off it. I, d- I did wonder why the actors, in particular John Mulvaney, didn't go on to have bigger careers. Him in particular because, I mean, he's very, very good in this. Very funny. You know, yeah. his comic time, yeah. in the, especially in the scenes that he's in with Ian McCall. Like, I love that scene when they're, they're kind of walking back from the pub They've kind of made friends, yeah. and he's 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 trying to push his arm behind him as if he's not sure whether he should sort of pat him on the shoulder or whatever. It's and the old um, contact lenses speech as well. Do you need the glasses? Huh? I mean, you don't want glass going in your eye when some bastard stands in your face, right? See these contact lenses oh. changed my life. Soft lenses, expensive ones. See, my optician knows his ass for his elbow. That's what I like about you. No namby-pamby shite. You just go out there, you get on your motorbike and you say what you want. And if you don't get it... He's always, he's, he's really, really funny. But I guess it just shows that, it, I guess it doesn't matter how, how good you are. It's a tough old game, um, making a living as an actor, you know? You would have thought that being the leads, like those two guys being the leads in this in this film would have maybe led on to something more high profile for them going forward. Yeah, I think he, he went on to a few things, but nothing major. And you say, same as Vincent Friel, mm-hmm. whose most famous role probably is Diane's father in yeah. Trainspotting. Yeah, um, yeah. I think... Uh, Terry Lally, who played Margot. Yeah, they spoke about her. went on to biggest success. She was in Take the High Road for about 12 years. Yeah. 
Yeah, and as you say, eighties hot. It's a bit of a, yeah. I was a bit perplexed in the scene where there she and uh, Will are walking on the cobbles next to the dock. And she's got her shoes she's off. Got her shoes off. <laughs> Fuck yeah! I, I yeah, that struck me as well. Of a little bit. Uh, hmm. uh, but yeah, she is. She's good. Um, she's got a few quality lines when she says, tells Ned, Ned Beatty to stick his head in a chanty. Yeah. That was a uh, um, <laughs> She's going to wonder when she gets bundled in the back of the car, oh, is this going to go bad? But uh, no, she, she much like the little girl, she doesn't give much away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, they all end up in New Mexico at the end. Yeah, New, New Mexico, just outside Kirkcaldy, because the, re- <laughs> the rest, the rest, all, it's clear that the extras in that film are <laughs> Scottish people with a bit of foundation and, some, and sombreros on. <laughs> they, are not, they are not Latin actors that they've hired for that scene um yeah but no i think the the uh the kind of payoff is quite nice you know at the end um i felt a bit sorry for the motorbike i felt felt a bit sorry for ronnie his his motorbike uh, flung off the cliff because they they when they have the scene in the graveyard earlier on and vincent sorry will describes how he um kept ronnie alive on jelly on geely pieces when he was saving up to buy the motorbike um yeah Having to throw it away, um, but I liked the this I liked the sort of last scene at the end with the three of them kind of racing up the hill to on Arthur's seat in the motorbike and sidecar. Um, yeah, to the sound of big country, sound of big country, rumbling away. Yeah. So, shall we put restless natives through our coveted Swally Awards? Let's do it, Greg. What have we got first? this week um well as usual um it's the bobby the barman <laughs> award um for the best pub um for this one i didn't catch the name of it so i've just written down the crooks pub the scene where we have where mel smith has his scene yeah because it's like a pub that all the gangsters are in but then once the a couple of minutes later when ian mccall comes in you can see it's like a snooker hall yeah so i wondered if it was a a snooker hall social yeah club. that's the only place I d- snooker hall element yes i wouldn't mind the the big crooks pub i don't know if i'd want to go for a pint in there i think i'd feel a little bit intimidated yeah and i yeah I, th- I think i'd give it a pass this week mm, okay the ewan mcgregor award for gratuitous nudity it's just the fake tits isn't oh, that's it? what i've written down plastic tits yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, the James Cosmo Award for being an everything Scottish. That's kind of really only one choice as well, isn't it? It's got to be Dave Anderson. Yeah, it's Dave Anderson. Ian McCall, I think, gets a, a shout out. Yeah, um, maybe. I, I did wonder because he has kind of a bigger part, but yeah, it's it's Dave Anderson, mm. without a doubt. Yeah. And I, I genuinely did not know he was in this when I picked this. It was a total <laughs> surprise when he popped up because I, I don't want to be swaying the swally tally. Yeah. I, I genuinely did not know that he was in this. So for a film about armed robbery, <laughs> there's not a great deal of uh, violence in this film. Um, no. So for the, the Jake McQuillan, your teaser awards, I gave it to the motorbike at the end. <laughs> getting flung off the cliff oh okay what did you give it to uh, I gave it to uh, the woman battering Ronnie in the joke shop oh, with yeah. a plastic squeaky club because right. um, she's he's been selling her son the was it nasty sugar yeah yeah um, and she comes in and batters the fuck out of him with the, and it, it's so comedic again it's a very Bill Forsyth thing yeah um, with the squeaky club and it just keeps squeaking as she's battering him with it um, so yeah I gave that 
uh, the teasied. She was familiar, that woman. Yes. Um, I'm just looking. Is it Mrs. Patterson? Yeah, Angus's dad. Yes. Mum, right? Mrs. Patterson. So like, Irene Sunters, her name yep. is. Let's have a look. Irene Sunters. Uh, the Wicker Man. A Sense of oh. Freedom. Um, oh. Yeah, she's got a lot of stuff. The, she's, she's plays Mrs. McSpadden in The Crow Road. That's probably where we've seen her. So, uh, you know, the, the kind of maid in The Crow Road. Yeah. Yeah, she didn't take the high road for a lot of years. She'd be quite high up the smiley tally then. Yeah, um, she's in Rabsy Nesbitt. She plays Mary's mother in work. In Rabsy, in, uh, I don't remember Mary's mum being in work. Oh yeah, she was, because that's right, Mary goes to live with, in that first episode, she goes to live with them for a while, doesn't she? They go to bed at like yeah. seven o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's been in fucking loads of stuff. Edge of Darkness, like famous uh, TV series from this same year about nuclear power. She, yeah, she was in well, she's been acting since the mid-50s. Well, she's not acting anymore. She died in 2005, but, um, <laughs> but she did act for a long time. <laughs> oh, well, possibly she could be a contender then. Yeah. Um, we'll give it to her then. Well, since we've just found out she's passed, let's give it to her. Okay. Because yeah. Dave Anderson's won it loads. Yeah, he always so. wins, doesn't he? Um, okay, uh, the Francis Begbie Award for Gratuitous Swearing. Not a particularly sweary film. What did you go for? Uh, no, there's not. There's a couple of shits and stuff. I, I went for Ian McCall when he sits down. Down, uh, with Ronnie and he says I just loved what you did to that Yankee bastard yeah um, <laughs> that's that was it although genuinely it's not a swear word but I I did want to give it to the policeman for saying have you got any false tits <laughs> yeah. um it's just the, the delivery of that is great but yeah Ian McCall or false tits what about yourself yeah I had I had the the yank bastard line as well because that was the one that was this is it's the kind of swear word that's delivered with the most aggression i think in the whole film um mm. so um okay archetypal scottish moment what did you go for here i would kind of like to give it to the aberdeen and hibs fans chasing the the bandits down the road waving salt tires right. and kind of wanting to punch them and stuff but i come on it has to be big country soundtrack yeah. just throughout the whole film like or the the beautiful shots of the Highlands. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to give it to the big country and the soundtrack. Yep, that's that's a good one. I I had uh, the annual invasion of American tourists. But I, I, I wonder if that. <laughs> I wonder if that's if it's still as much. I don't know if you go. I certainly remember if you were in Edinburgh. If you were in Edinburgh in July and August, it would be absolutely packed with Americans heaving uh, for the fringe. And then the Sean Connery Award for who won the film, or as we sometimes say, who got to go home and fuck the prom queen. Well, who did you go for? I I gave it. I I had to give it to both the leads. I thought like Frio and Mulaney deserved to share it. I thought they were both really good. Okay, especially Mulaney. Yeah, I gave it to Mulaney. I really wanted to give it to Ian McCall. So <laughs> he kind of he kind of steals it for me. Just yeah. just some of his interactions, and then the, especially the end scene when he just jumps out <laughs> in the granny costume with a shotgun. Uh, but no, I have to give it to Mulaney. His his comic timing and and some of the the stuff he comes out with and. It, it made me laugh a lot. Mm. His interaction with Bruce, and especially when the big reveal at the graveside is that I don't even know who's down there. That <laughs> really made me laugh. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Joe Mulaney for me. Okay. Well, that's uh, fair. I think this that's episode. fair. I mean, I, I, I like, I think, I do think that Mulaney is the better performance of the two, but I liked uh, Friel's sort of awkward kind of Gregory-esque. Yeah. He's sort of like a Gregory who suffers from chronic anxiety. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, true actually. But he, yeah, because yeah, Gregory's kind of not aware of his Gregory is quite a confident individual. Yeah, yeah. Um and yeah, whereas Will's not. No. No, he's not. So 
Okay. No, yeah, I enjoyed no. I enjoyed that. Um I enjoyed the restless natives. Good. But yeah, it's ah. you, you you don't realise just how much of a of a Bill Forsyth tribute <laughs> uh, it is until you kinda of put them side by side. Let's know? just say rip off, Greg. We can be quite honest <laughs> with that. It's a Bill Forsyth rip off. <laughs> okay. Uh yeah, no, I really enjoyed Restless Natives too. Um but yeah, I'll be watching Gregory's Girl or Local Hero or Comfort and Joy before again yeah uh okay so that was my choice greg so it's your choice next time on the swally so why do you tell us what we're going to be looking at on the next episode of the culture swally well i thought i would choose something a bit more up to date this time you know we've done a couple of new things in the past uh to varying degrees of success um but i thought i would go for the british biographical 2021 movie about scotch record label boss alan mcgee uh creation stories oh wow okay yeah i have I have not seen that. So, yeah, I'll look forward to that because obviously we are big Oasis and Britpop fans. So, um, that'll be interesting. Is it Ewan Bremner? Ewan Bremner plays Alan McGee. Uh, Irvin Welsh wrote the screenplay with Dean Kavanagh. And Irvin Welsh, I'm just looking at the cast list now. He has a a role uh, as a character called Titch. Um, Jason Fleming is in it. Um, and I'm really, really hoping that he's not, oh, he's not, he he's not dusting, sing. he's not dusting off his Scottish <laughs> accent. He plays a King Tut's promoter. Ed Byrne is in there, Nick Moran, Stephen Berkoff, Saskia Reeves, Thomas Turgus from This Is England, Danny John Jules oh. from Red Dwarf. Quite a cast and a half, and I've not seen it, so uh, I'm looking forward to watching it. Uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I definitely hope Jason Fleming doesn't sing in this, because I, as I said on a, a comment uh, we had from a, a new listener on Instagram, uh, Andy Newby, um, who's in Finland. Hello, Andy. He mentioned something about Sunshine on Leith that he didn't enjoy. And I I did say that that scene of Jason Fleming just suddenly standing up and singing You Should Have Been Loved literally Mm. haunts me. (laughs) It just pops into my head at random moments and it just sends a shiver down my spine. So I hope he doesn't sing. Nick Moran as well. So he was in Lockstock too. So it's kind of a, a Lockstock reunion. Indeed it is. Yeah. I'll be honest, mate. The cast list you've read out, I'm not anticipating good things from this. Um, Nick (laughs) Moran, Jason Fleming, Danny John Jules. Nick Nick Moran plays Malcolm McLaren. Oh, Um, great. Most recently most recently played uh, by Thomas is it Thomas Sangster he plays him in the the mini series in Disney Plus Pistol that I uh, I finished watching this weekend which is Is that the kid from Love Actually? Yeah, it is, yeah. Oh, okay. He's right. he's not he's not a kid anymore obviously. Um uh, yeah, it was okay that Pistol. Um it's it's worth a watch. It's it has its moments, but it kind of rattles along quite nicely. And it's only six parts, so it's, it's worth a watch. Okay. All right. Well, I will look forward to looking at creation stories. Yes, that's yeah. it. Creation stories. <laughs> yeah, with you. Um, I'll just check it. I'll remember <laughs> creation stories with you uh, on the next episode of The Spally. Okay. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can follow us on Instagram at culture swally pod or you can follow us on twitter at swally pod or if you have anything you've seen you'd like us to review or if you have any news stories that you think are funny you'd like us to um, talk about on swally you can get in touch with us on culture swally at gmail.com and please feel free to rate review subscribe on itunes stitcher uh, spotify wherever you get your podcast it really helps the podcast to grow and greg we have a website again don't we, we? Do. we've got a website uh culture swally 2.0 website um if you go to 
uh, cultureswally.com. Uh, you can find bits about the show, uh, links to all the episodes, an article about the Crankies, um, and more and more content when we can get round to making it <laughs> and adding it. Um, but most importantly, if you want to get in touch with us, um, you can. There's links to our social media and our email address um, on the website too. Wonderful. Okay, so Greg, you're off on your holidays next week, aren't you? Because we're recording this a week ahead of advance. Uh, a week ahead of advance? Does that even make sense? It does oh. now. Um, <laughs> because you're off on holiday. So enjoy your holiday. I will. And we'll look forward to hearing about it on the next episode of The Swap. Indeed. Until next time. All right. Thanks. Until next time. And what? Listen, I'm in a hurry, okay? Stink bomb. Nasty car scratch. Nasty sugar. Bangers. Are you sure about the nasty sugar? Aye, three bags. Uh, Fake scab. Moving this snot. And a plastic turd. <laughs>